Raj and welcome to my podcast. For the next 10 minutes, we'll be discussing the events of the day without the stress. Today, we'll be talking about something of a sticky topic, the war in Ukraine. But the first part of this, we'll be talking about kind of the events leading up to it. And then the second half, we'll talk about what it means for us as Americans. So let's get right into it. Ukraine and Russia used to be both part of the Soviet Union for decades until 1991 when the Soviet Union dissolved. Ukraine kind of was its own country and uh, had a lot of problems with corruption and things like that. This was largely due to Russian influence as they tried to keep Ukraine corrupt and push them into horrible deals for natural gas and things like that that basically impoverished the country. Things came to a head in 2014 when a pro-Russian leader named Yanukovych was ousted in something called the Maidan movement where a lot of Ukrainians just saw no future with Russia and were kind of desperate to join the West to be more aligned with Europe and the United States. Shortly after the ouster of Yanukovych, a Russian intelligence officer named Igor Strelkov, I'm not really sure of his real name, but that's what he called himself. He, he was a member of the FSB, which is kind of the successor to the KGB, uh, kind of ignited and, and sparked a rebellion in the eastern parts of Ukraine, which were more pro-Russian. Um, this initial conflict uh, resulted in huge losses for Ukraine. They lost Crimea, they lost most of the eastern half of their country. Um, not that many people died uh, in these initial conflicts because Ukraine had maybe 6,000 soldiers total for a country of 40 million, and uh, a lot of the Ukrainian military units uh, either defected or, or ran away when faced with Russian mil- the Russian military. It's not clear that Putin actually um, ordered this, or, or he seemed to have more just kind of jumped on the bandwagon and taken advantage of it. Um, but that, then there was a period of relative peace after that, where there was uh, occasional infantry skirmishes and exchanges of artillery and things like that, but it was mostly quiet until 2022 when the Russian military massed a fairly large invasion force on Ukraine's border, about 150,000 people and many, many tanks. They invaded in February 2022, and it's been a very horrific conflict since then. About a half a million people have been killed in this, and uh, there doesn't seem to be much of an end to it. The initial Russian military thrust toward Kyiv, the capital, was stopped and they, they suffered heavy losses. Um, Russia had a trust fund of sorts of old Soviet military equipment like tanks and armed personnel carriers, stuff like that. And it's going to be very important later that they, they kind of threw into this conflict. And through use of satellite photography, things like that, we see that a lot of that has been destroyed. Uh, they're basically relying on artillery now. They just kind of roll their artillery up to a city or something like that and just level it. They haven't really been able to muster maneuver warfare or, you know, more active forms of warfare past the battalion level, maybe something like that. Ukraine, for their part, has been heavily dependent on Western military support. While they were initially able to kind of repel the Russians, they they do need a pretty constant influx of foreign aid and things like that to keep their military going. I think we've donated to them roughly 40 million or so in terms of pure military aid and probably triple that in terms of humanitarian aid and kind of keeping their economy going and things like that, which is not an inconsiderable amount of money. The European Union has also supported them um, fairly well, not quite as much money, but uh, some countries, especially England, have, have really rallied to their defense. Should be important to note that we don't actually have any soldiers on the ground, and no Western nation does. There have been some volunteers that have been killed, but we're mostly assisting Ukrainians with satellite intelligence and military and financial aid, not direct combat. While Ukraine has been able to recapture a lot of territory, the conflict is now frozen. Now that we're all on the same page, let's talk about what this means for us as Americans. 
As many mainstream media outlets have pointed out, the cause of defending freedom is important, and this has also improved cohesion between us and our European allies. But let's move on to more practical matters. As I said before, Russia had a massive inheritance of military equipment from the Soviet Union, thousands upon thousands of tanks, armored personnel carriers, artillery, every manner of weapon of war. And we've had to face it as a country in, the, in every conflict in the last 50 years. A lot of this was left out to rot in the 90s. They just didn't have enough storage space for it. A lot more was sold on the black market to one dictatorship after another. And even more has been destroyed in Ukraine. Burning hulks of tanks and armored personnel carriers and artillery left from one end of Ukraine to the other. This has really depleted Russia's military capability. They will not be able to threaten the United States or our allies for the next 20 years. This has been a huge benefit to us and a very small fraction of the Department of Defense budget. On that topic, we should talk about the monetary cost of this war. We have currently contributed around $45 billion to them militarily. That's a staggering amount of money, especially in these times. But a lot of that is Lend-Lease, which means at some point they will have to pay it back. A further $110, $115 billion, depending on how you count it, has been given in humanitarian and financial aid to keep their economy from collapsing. This was necessary to prevent a greater humanitarian catastrophe in Ukraine that did cost the U.S. taxpayers sorely. This is the main effect of this, and I think we're going to get to sort of the fears that have been projected about this, about, you know, World War III and the draft and nuclear war. I'm here to tell you there is virtually no chance of that happening. I know the fear sells. I know the fear is very profitable. I know the fear, you know, gets the clicks and things like that, but there really is no chance of that. Russia has been rattling the nuclear saber at pretty much everyone for the last 20 years. When a country like Russia or the United States or China or any country, or even France, any country with nuclear weapons, actually moves to do something like that, they change their strategic posture. What that means is they actually move around the launchers, aircraft, things like this, to make them more ready to strike. Russia has not done this once. Has not really signaled that they're willing to do this. It's just been saber-rattling to this point. They have not once attacked any military shipment coming through the border into Ukraine, have not deliberately attacked uh, U.S. aircraft flying over the region and providing intelligence to the Ukrainians. Well, there was a mid-air collision, which does happen from time to time. So I'm telling you that there is going to be no World War III out of this conflict. There's going to be no draft as a result of this conflict. The odds of the U.S. military directly engaging the Russian military as a result of Ukraine is very near zero. So if you have family in the military, you don't need to worry. If you have, if you're concerned about, you know, nuclear war, things like that, that's not going to happen. Virtually every country with nuclear weapons knows very well what happens if they use them. Vladimir Putin may be a dictator, but he's not suicidal. He doesn't want to die. There have also been a lot of economic impacts for this war for us. The collapse of Russian oil and gas being supplied to Europe has opened up new markets for the United States. Many European countries are now drawing on American natural gas. Ukraine has long been the breadbasket of Europe, the Middle East and North Africa, and there was a disruption in grain prices as a result of this war. But that's mostly been resolved and should not impact us much longer. The largest effect with regards to this conflict for us has been our relationship with China. China sided with Russia early on in this conflict, which seriously frayed their relationship with the Europeans. China has few diplomatic inroads with the Europeans, and even the economic ties they fostered were fraying. China also relied heavily on Russian equipment for a lot of their military, and not just them, but many dictatorships around the world, like Iran. The war in Ukraine has caused the collapse of the Russian military-industrial complex. They're having a lot of trouble just supplying their own troops. 
They're getting so desperate they're buying drones from Iran and shells from North Korea. They are in no position to be supplying anyone with anything for at least a decade or more. While this war has been horrific, both in terms of the lives lost on both the Russian and Ukrainian sides, the volunteers who have died, and the sheer cost in blood and treasure, we must also look forward to a brighter future. China, our largest and strongest rival, was really counting on Russian support if they were to challenge us in the Pacific or anywhere else. They can no longer depend upon it as the Russian military has been bled dry. The treasure we have expended defending the Ukrainians has cost us dearly, especially in a time of high inflation, an uncertain economy, and budget cuts. However, we should look forward to the fact that we have put a war with China further and further away as they can no longer depend on their ally Russia. In Ukraine, we've also defended a flawed but nascent democracy. With the Russian military-industrial complex taxed to its limits, they are unable to supply our rivals and enemies around the world. They are also losing market share to the United States, France, and other military suppliers. This is all to say, don't be afraid. I know the fear sells, I know the fear is very popular, but you shouldn't be afraid. Things are rough for now, but they will get better. No matter what challenges we face, I believe we'll get through them together as people and as Americans. I know sometimes it can seem like the world is on fire or the world has stopped making sense and I don't know what you're going through right now in your own life, but remember it's never as bad as it looks. Some hope and a little faith can go a long way. That's something that has served me well in my own life and I hope it can help you too. This has been my podcast, my first ever. Thank you very much for joining me, I really do appreciate it. If there are any comments or suggestions or any feedback at all, I'd really welcome it. I'd like to know what you think about it. And again, I thank you for joining me, and I hope this podcast has left you a little bit better informed, a little more calm than when you started. This has been Adrian Hodge signing off. God bless.